Are men born sinners? Did we come out of the womb with a sin nature, only capable of sinning? What is Gnosticism, and how is it taught in churches throughout the entire world today? Many Christians today are inadvertently teaching Gnosticism without even realizing it. How did this horrific doctrine creep its way into churches today? This is the subject of today's Differing Things. Now for our host, Bill Petrie. When talking about whether man has a sin nature or not, we need to begin at the very beginning of our lives, and that's when we're infants, little babies, just out of the womb. We need to understand that babies are not born righteous. As the Bible says, he that does righteousness is righteous in 1 John 3, 7. Since babies have not yet done anything righteous, they consequently are not righteous. There is no passive righteousness or righteousness of being apart from active choice. The same moral principle applies to sin. Babies are born neither righteous nor sinful, but are born morally innocent, which is the only way they possibly can be born. There can be no moral character apart from free choice. So to be born or created with a moral character is a natural impossibility. Therefore, infants are not born righteous or sinful, but are born morally innocent. Without moral knowledge and moral choices, there can be no moral character. It is inconceivable that moral character should exist before there is moral knowledge or moral choice. That is why children remain morally innocent until the age of accountability, that is, when they know right from wrong. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 39 states, Moreover, your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, And your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go hither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 15 and 16 adds this. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before... The child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good. The land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Accountability comes when a child knows right from wrong, and they choose to do wrong, just as James 4.17 states. It reads, Therefore to him that knows to do good, and doeth does it not, to him it is sin. The age of accountability is, therefore, also known as the age of reason. It is when a child's mind is developed, or specifically when their conscience is developed, so that they know right from wrong. When each person reaches this age or state, It differs from one person to another. But those who do not know right from wrong cannot be sinful. John chapter 9 verse 41 states, Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, we see. Therefore, your sin remains. Since, as we have already seen, infants do not yet know right from wrong, infants cannot be sinful according to what the scriptures state. It has been said that infants are born sinful because they are born of flesh. This idea is also nonsense. Men cannot choose what they are made of. And therefore, they cannot be sinful because of what they are made of. 
even a heretic like Augustine at one point recognized, and I quote Augustine from his work, De Vera Religion, volume 14, and on page 27. There can be no sin that is not voluntary. The learned and the ignorant admit this evident truth. End of quote. The nature or character you are born with is altogether involuntary. And therefore, the nature that you are born with is completely without any moral character or moral qualities whatsoever. The flesh or nature you are born with cannot be sin itself, as sin is voluntary, and your nature and flesh at birth is involuntary. And you cannot be sinful or be a sinner merely because of the nature of flesh that you voluntarily inherit at your creation. You cannot hold a man responsible for a nature or flesh which he has not chosen to have, nor can his involuntary nature or flesh be part of his moral character at all. Moral character must always be self-caused or self-chosen if it is going to truly have any moral quality. A man must be the cause of that for which he is held responsible for. While sin or moral character is voluntary and caused by our own will, it is also true that infants, though innocent, do suffer physical death as a natural consequence of Adam's sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 and 22 state, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Infants die, not as criminals being punished for sin, but as Adam's offspring, who are victims of his sin and suffer consequences for it. The death of infants does not prove, as Calvinists suppose, that infants have sinned and are guilty. Animals also die and they have not sinned. Jesus Christ himself died, and he knew no sin. The reason that our bodies are subjected to death, even the bodies of innocent infants, is because we do, is because we were made subject to death after Adam's sin. God puts certain consequences upon mankind because of Adam's sin to put a limitation and check to the spreading and occurrence of sin. Now man needs to work by the sweat of his brow, thus giving man less idle time to sin. It is not that God is punishing all of us for Adam's sin, but that we naturally suffer because of what has happened. Irenaeus said, by means of our first parents, we were brought into bondage by me being made subject to death. With this understanding, we can see how the deaths of innocence, infants do not mean that they are sinful or guilty instead of innocent, since animals die and they have not sinned, and Jesus Christ died and he was innocent. Infants cannot sin, so they are not sinners. And since they are not yet sinners, they are not deserving of Eonian punishment. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven belonged to little children in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, and Mark 10, 14, and Luke 18, verse 16. Until children develop and make the conscious choice to violate God's law by doing what they know to be wrong, they are morally innocent and do not 
deserve condemnation. Infants are not sinners merely because they are made of flesh or because of the nature they are born with, and no child deserves punishment merely because God forms them in the womb, creating and composing them of physical substance. Sin is a state of the will, not a state of the flesh. Body, substance, constitution, composition, or nature. Charles Finney said, and I quote, The fact is, sin never can consist in having a nature, nor in what nature is, but only and alone in the bad use which we make of our nature. This is all. Our maker will never find fault with us for what he has himself done or made. Certainly not. He will not condemn us if we will only make the right use of our powers, of our intellect, our sensibilities, and our will. He never holds us responsible for our original nature, since there is no law against nature. Nature cannot be a transgression. Man's nature is not a proper subject for legislation, precept, and penalty, inasmuch as it lies entirely without the pale of voluntary action or of any action of man at all. End of quote. Finney's logic is sound. Sin is the choice to violate God's standard. God's standards tell us what type of choices to have, not what type of substance to be made of. Therefore, choices can be sinful, but our substance cannot be. Since sin is a choice and not a substance, then men can only be sinful by choice and cannot be sinful by substance. In other words, men are not born sinners. Rather than sin being the involuntary state of your nature, it is instead the voluntary usage of the faculties of your nature. It is not that man's nature is sinful, but that man can choose to use the nature God gave him sinfully. Thus, man's sinfulness is his own fault, not the fault of his creator. The faculties of man's nature, which God granted us, can be used for either holiness or sin. Pelagius said, and I quote, One should should note that the works, not the substance of the flesh, are condemned. End of quote. It is very important to this discussion to understand that the Gnostics taught that the flesh was sinful in and of itself. That is why they denied that Jesus Christ came in a flock. Gnostics believed that sin is the substance of the body, and the scriptures called them Antichrist. Gnosticism attributes moral qualities to states of matter and believes that our flesh is inherently and intrinsically evil. It is one thing to say that our flesh can be used for sin, and quite another thing altogether to say that our flesh is sin. The Bible says our flesh is an instrument or a tool which we can use for sin or use for righteousness, but not that our flesh is itself a sin. The moral quality of our members is not intrinsic, but depends entirely upon how we choose to use them. Whether our our flesh is an instrument used for righteousness 
or whether our flesh is an instrument used for wickedness is a matter of our own free choice. Paul said, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God in Romans 6.13. Paul also said, For as you have yielded your members servants of uncleanness unto iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness in Romans 6.19. If your flesh was a sin, Paul was saying that you should not yield your sin as an instrument for sin, but that you should yield your sin as an instrument for righteousness. But that does not make any sense. Rather, Paul was saying that sin is not the substance of our body. But we can choose to use our flesh for sin or use our flesh for the service of God. To be a servant of sin or to be a servant of righteousness is not a matter of nature but a matter of choice. Our flesh is not created as a servant of sin or servant of righteousness, but after we are created, we choose to yield our flesh to the service of righteousness or sin. The Bible says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts thereof, in Romans 6.12. The words let and obey indicate the consent and obedience of the will. Commenting on these passages, Pelagius said, and I quote, Sin reigns in the body, namely by obedience and consent. Every single member is is made a weapon of wickedness to defeat righteousness if it turns its function to bad use. At the same time, it should be noted that it is through freedom of choice that a person offers his members for whatever side he wishes. We present our members to serve sin. It is not the case, as the Manichaeans say, that was the nature of the body to have sin mixed in. End of quote. Tozier said, and I quote, It is important that we realize the human body is simply an instrument, because there are those who have taught that Christ could not be God in the flesh, because the body is evil, and God would not thus come in contact with evil. The false premise there is the belief that the human body is evil. There is no evil within inert matter. There is nothing evil in matter itself. Evil lies in the spirit. Evils of the heart, of the mind, of the soul, of the spirit, these have to do with man's sin. And the only reason the human body does evil is because the human spirit uses it to do evil. No sin does not lie in the human body. There is nothing in the human body that is bad. Sin lies in the will of man. And when the man wills to sin, he uses his body as a harmless, helpless instrument to do his evil purpose. End of quote. <clears throat> to counteract the Gnostic idea, that matter was intrinsically evil, or that the flesh was in and of itself sinful, Paul said that we can choose to sanctify our flesh, to set apart our bodies for the service of God, so that our body can be holy. Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, 
which is your reasonable service in Romans 12.1. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, he tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And then he goes on, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And he reiterates in 1 Timothy 2.8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Paul commended men to glorify God in your body in 1 Corinthians 6.20. Paul said that whether we are absent or present in the body, we are to be acceptable unto God in 2 Corinthians 5.9. He also said, Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple is holy, which temple you are, in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. He states in Philippians 1.20, Christ shall be magnified in my body. Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God, Paul tells the Galatian church in Galatians 2.20. And we can read the words of the psalmist in Psalm 84.2, where the psalmist says, My soul longs, yea, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. It should be evident from all of these passages that the scriptures do not support that Gnostic Calvinistic doctrine that the flesh is sinful or that the body is evil, but that it is an instrument which can be used either way. And in the case of the Christian, the flesh is actually holy or sanctified. On this point, it is important to distinguish between sanctification and glorification. The difference between having a glorified flesh and having a sanctified flesh is this. A sanctified flesh has to do with how we morally use our bodies. Well, a glorified flesh has to do with the physical quality of our bodies themselves. We certainly cannot have a glorified body in this life, but we can have a sanctified body in this life. That means that we cannot have a physically perfect body in this world, but we certainly do not have to use our body to sin or choose to gratify our flesh through sin. We can sanctify our flesh in this world. We can set apart our body from sin to the service of God. Christians still live in the flesh, according to 2 Corinthians 10.3, but they do not live according to the flesh, or I should say, live after the flesh in Romans 8.1 and 8.5. We still have a body but we are not selfishly living to gratify our flesh. Those who belong to Christ choose to walk after the Spirit, and they no longer live to gratify the lusts of their flesh, according to Galatians 5.16 and 5.24. We do not need to wait until glorification in order to experience sanctification. Since we are not born sinful or with a sinful body, but men are sinful by their own free choice, we do not wait, need to wait until we die or until we cease 
to have these physical bodies in order to cease to be sinful, as Gnosticism teaches. We can freely choose not to be sinful in this life. We can choose to live sin-free right here and now. And oftentimes, we do choose not to sin. When somebody tempts you with something that you know to be wrong, and you decline, you have chosen to perform an act of righteousness and not sin. But that was a free will choice that you made as an individual. This is why the body commands us in this life to cease to be evil and to be sinful no more. Two mistaken concepts that Christian theologians often hold are this you cannot become holy on earth, and you cannot become sinful in heaven. These ideas are in error because we know that there were angels who became sinful while in heaven, and we know that Jesus Christ, who is our example to follow, lived holy on earth. The angels in heaven right now could sin. They could become fallen like the rebellious angels, but they do not want to. When we make it to heaven as the saints of God, we too could sin, but we will not want to. Free will is not taken away in heaven, but we will be as the angels of God in heaven, according to Matthew 22:30. We will use our free will to be obedient to God for all the eons, while retaining the liberty to become evil if we so chose. Jesus lived holy before he had a glorified body. And Adam became sinful while he had a body most magnificent. Those without glorified bodies are free to choose to be sanctified. And those with glorified bodies are free to choose to be sinful. Having a glorified body does not force one to be holy, nor does having a body not yet glorified force one to be sinful. Being sinful or being holy is not determined by the nature of your body, but by the determination of your free will. The idea of moral character existing before moral choices exist, or of moral character deriving its existence from something other than moral choices, such as our body or our nature, is a Gnostic moral philosophy. How can our moral character truly be called moral if it has nothing to do with our choices and consequently nothing to do with God's law, but rather has to do with our nature, substance, constitution, or composition? If we fail to distinguish between sin and temptation, between the physical and the moral, between nature and character, between natural attributes and moral attributes, we will fall into the error of Gnosticism. I once asked a Calvinist this question, is the body a sin? He said, yes, our bodies are made of sin. I asked him, can you put sin under a microscope and look at it? And he answered, sure. The man then said to me, you cannot stop sinning. Even waking up is a sin because you wake up in sinful flesh. Just the fact that we are composed of flesh makes us sinners. End of quote. Just recently, a Calvinist sent me a personal message that said, 
Your body is sinful and will be until death. These types of statements from Calvinists are Gnostic at their very essence and core. After talking to numerous people, I have concluded that Gnosticism is alive and well today. I have been shocked at how many Gnostic Calvinists I have encountered. The very idea that your body is sinful and that because of this, you cannot be morally perfect until you get a glorified body is nothing short of pure Gnosticism. Yet many today claim that you cannot be free from sin until you die. The truth is that your body does not make you unholy, and therefore you do not need a new body to be made holy. Your body is not sinful, so you do not need a new body to be made free from sin. The command to be you therefore perfect in Matthew 5.48 certainly takes for granted that moral perfection is a choice of the will and not an involuntary state of the body, which we have absolutely no control over. A command implies that the object which is being commanded can be acquired by the choice of the will and that the thing which is being forbidden can be avoided by the choice of the will. Therefore, Moral perfection is a choice of the will, not a state of substance of your body. Since your body is not sinful, and since your body does not make you sin, you do not need a new body to be made free from sin. Adam sinned with a perfect or glorified body, and Jesus Christ was sinless while he was in a body of human flesh. He was sinless while having a body that was not yet glorified, but was subjected to death. Therefore, a flesh body does not necessarily make you sinful. Neither does a glorified body necessarily make you holy. Being sinful or being holy does not depend upon the physical state or quality of your body, but upon the moral state or quality of your will. Since Gnosticism fails to distinguish between the physical and the moral, they consequently fail to properly distinguish between physical depravity and moral depravity, between physical perfection and moral perfection. Gnostic moral philosophy says that sin is a substance of matter that is not limited to free will choices. To view sin as a state of the body, or as a state of human nature, rather than a state of the will, is the Gnostic view of sin and human nature. The whole idea that man has a sinful nature, or that man's nature is sinful in and of itself, or that man is sinful through hereditary inheritance, rather than through voluntary choice, is nothing more than the remains of Gnostic and Manichaean philosophy surviving through Augustinian, Lutheran, and Calvinistic theology. John Calvin said, and I quote, Augustine labored to show that we are not corrupted by acquired wickedness but bringing in innate corruption from the very womb, end of quote. In other words, wickedness was not the fault of the individual, since they did not cause it by their own free will, but was the fault of their constitution or design, acquiring it during the formation of their composition while in the womb. The late great Dean Harvey said, and I quote, The concept of inherited sin is a philosophical construct applied to theology. 
it is not found in the Bible. End of quote. Regarding the doctrine of constitutional sinfulness, Charles Finney said, and I quote, This doctrine is a stumbling block both to the church and the world, infinitely dishonorable to God and an abomination alike to God and the human intellect, and should be banished from every pulpit and from every formula of doctrine and from the world. It is a relic of heathen philosophy and was foisted in among the doctrines of Christianity by Augustine. As everyone may know, who will take the trouble to examine this for himself or herself. End of quote. Harry Kahn said, Augustine, after studying the philosophy of man's, the Persian philosopher brought into the church from Manichaeism the doctrine of original sin. End of quote. Augustine's theological term, the transmission of sin, itself presupposes the Gnostic view that sin is some sort of substance that can be hereditary rather than a personal choice originated by the will. In a Gnostic worldview, sin is blamed on man's nature rather than on man's free will. But in the Christian worldview, this is not true. These Gnostic notions were completely foreign to the early church and even refuted by them. It was not until Augustine converted from the Manichaean Gnostic sect that he brought these views with him into the church. Many, all throughout church history, have refuted these erroneous Gnostic views of human flesh or human nature, as we shall now see. God is not the author of sin. Man is born a physical and a spiritual being. Our constitution is both physical and spiritual. It is not true, however, as the Gnostics supposed, that the physical is evil, but the spiritual is good. Since God is the creator of both physical and spiritual reality. In fact, God forms us both physically and spiritually in the womb. He is the maker of our spiritual and physical constitution. The Bible says, is that, as you know, not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so you know, not the works of God who makes all. We read in Ecclesiastes 11.5. Our physical and spiritual state at birth is the direct result of the working of God. Let me repeat this. Our physical and spiritual state at birth is the direct result of the working of God, who is the author of man's nature or constitution. Unless we are willing to believe that God is the author of sin, we cannot accept the theory or view that sin is the result of our physical or spiritual nature. To blame your sinfulness upon your free will or to confess being a sinner by choice is to take responsibility humbly and fully for your sin. But to blame your sinfulness on your birth or on your nature is to blame your creator 
who formed you in the womb. God is not the author of sin. He does not want us to be sinners. Our Creator certainly would not create us with a sinful nature. To say that He does would be to blaspheme His character and confuse the Lord's will with that of the demons. Calvinists will typically object and say, God did not give me my sinful nature. I inherited it from Adam. But the Bible does not teach that Adam, Satan, or anyone else formed our nature in the womb. It is God who forms our nature in the womb. Know you not that the Lord, he is God? It is he that has made us, and not we ourselves, the psalmist tells us. In Psalm chapter 100, verse 3, clearly, Adam is not the God of nature. Adam does not form us in the womb. Remember, as we have already seen, the scriptures are explicit and say that God is the author of our nature. He is the creator of our constitution. We are the work of his hands since he forms us in the womb. Just as the Bible says that God formed Adam and Eve, the Bible uses the same word and language to say that God forms us in the womb in Psalm 100, verse 3. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord, in Exodus 4.11. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we are told in Acts 17, verse 29, thine hands have made me and fashioned me together round about. Thou hast made me as the clay. You have clothed me with skin and flesh and have fenced me with bones and sinews. We are told in Job chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, and verse 11, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made even both of them, Solomon tells us in Proverbs 20, verse 12. The great God formed all things, he goes on to say in Proverbs 26, 10. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he that formed you from the womb. I am the Lord that makes all things, the prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 44, verse 24. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made, John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 3. And for him, for of him, and through him, and to him are all things, Paul writes in Romans 11, verse 36. God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, he adds in Ephesians 3.9. For by him were all things created. All things were created by him. All things were created by him and for him. By him all things consist, we are told in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. The all things that have been made by Christ would include all the human natures which are made and created in the womb. Who then is it that formed you from the womb, according to the Bible? It is the Lord. It is Yahweh, your Redeemer, who makes all things. But remember, Augustine held to a Gnostic moral philosophy and taught, according to John Calvin, that wickedness was not acquired by personal choices, but was an innate corruption from the very womb. Calvinism is nothing but modern-day Gnosticism. Is it true that sin is not our fault? Is sin really a birth defect? To blame sin upon our formation in the womb is to blame Yahweh for our sin since he formed us 
in the womb. To blame sin upon a corrupted constitution is to blame our creator for sin. To blame sin upon a faulty design is to blame sin upon our designer. Martin Luther, who was a student of Augustine's writings, believed that God is the author of our nature and that we are born with a sinful nature. Therefore, he said that God ceases not to form and multiply that nature which is defiled by sin. In other words, Luther was saying that God multiplies man's sinful nature by forming us all with a sinful nature. This would be Luther's position put into a logical syllogism. Major premise, our nature is sinful. Minor premise, God is the author of our nature. Conclusion, therefore, God forms us with a sinful nature. The reason that he came to the wrong conclusion was because he started with the wrong premise. We should reason like this. Major premise. God is the author of our nature. Minor premise. God is not the author of sin. Conclusion. Therefore, God does not create us with a sinful nature. Eusebius said, The fault is in him who chooses not in God, for God is not made nature or the substance of the soul bad. For he who is good can make nothing but what is good. Everything is good, which is according to nature. Every rational soul has naturally a good free will formed for the choice of what is good. But when a man acts wrongly, nature is not to be blamed, for what is wrong takes place not according to nature, but contrary to nature, it being the work of choice and not of nature. End of quote. Scripturally sound doctrine says that we are not formed or fashioned in the womb wicked by God, but we become wicked by choice after we are born. God certainly would not create us in the womb with a sinful nature, since God hates sin and does not even tempt anyone to sin. James chapter 1, verse 13 states, if God doesn't even attempt us to sin, he certainly wouldn't give us a nature that is a sin, or a nature which necessitates us to sin. How could we say, I will ascribe righteousness to my maker, as Job states in Job chapter 36, 3, if he makes us? with a sinful nature. We could not ascribe righteousness to my maker if we are involuntarily and unavoidably made sinful by no fault of our own. But we're made sinful because of the formation of our God-given nature. We know that God does not form us in the womb with a sinful nature since the Bible says that we are wonderfully made. King David said, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows right well. In Psalm 139, 14. We could not be wonderfully made if we were simply made. God's works could not be marvelous if God created sinfulness. Clearly, God does not make men sinners, but men make themselves sinners and transgressors. This is why the Bible says, Lo, this only have I found, that God has made men upright, but they 
have sought out many inventions in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 29. If sinners were honest with themselves, they would say what the Bible says. I make myself a transgressor, as Paul states in Galatians 2.18. Sin is not the fault of our constitution, but it is our fault because it is caused by our deliberate misuse of our constitution. To say that we are born sinners is to say that God who forms us in the womb creates us as sinners. If God creates us as sinners, God forces us to be sinful. And if God forces us to be sinful, we cannot be responsible or accountable for being sinful. We cannot be responsible for the condition of our birth or be justly punished for being what God created us as. If God created us sinners, we would not be the real sinners, but God would be the real sinner. This is because our sinfulness would not be caused by us, but by him. If God creates us sinners, sin is ultimately and really and totally his fault. And consequently, he is not righteous or good. The reason that God is righteous is because he never causes the existence of sin. And the reason that he is good is because he cares for the well-being of all his creation. Therefore, since God is good and righteous, we can conclude that he does not form anyone in the womb as a sinner or make anyone necessarily sinful. At birth, a baby is born neutral until they develop their moral character. And then, whether to sin or not to sin, becomes a moral free choice that that individual makes. Good day, and God bless. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast. Thank you.